Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Tuesday, November the 8th, 2022. Um, thinking about Americans' attitude towards the rest of the world, I don't think there's a country in the world where America has a more Manichaean view of than Japan. It's a place of good and evil, depending who you talk to. And its history, I think, in some ways reflects that. As it happens, an hour ago, we did a show about the American ambassador uh, to Japan in the 1930s, a man called uh, Joseph Grew. Um, uh, uh, the book is called Our Man in Tokyo. And of course, it deals with Japan in the 1930s and 40s. Uh, the Japan of uh, Emperor Hirohito, uh, the Japan of the invasion uh, of Manchuria, the Japan of Pearl Harbor. None of these things, of course, can be defended in any moral terms. And of course, uh, America fought a terrible war against Japan and indeed dropped two nuclear weapons on the country in 1945. But there's another Japan, a Japan which brings out our optimism and hope. And as it happens, we're talking about that very light, bright, sunny side of Japan um, today uh, with my guest, uh, Richard McCarthy, uh, who is the co-author of a book called Kuni, a Japanese vision and practice for urban rural reconnection. He's joining me uh, from... Uh, Brooklyn in New York. Uh, Richard, I certainly, you're not a historian. I obviously don't want to talk to you about Pearl Harbor or Manchuria or any of those things. But does it strike you that Americans do have a, a very, I mean, they, they certainly have a Manichaean vision of the world outside America, but particularly of Japan? Mm. I think we have a real fetish for Japan. Uh, <clears throat> it's the aesthetics, I think the scale, and uh, the fact that they are so unlike us in that the, the impulse is uh, how to respond to what we are doing, whereas I think in the U.S. our response is to what am I doing? And the, the, the tension between our hyper-libertarian individualistic ways uh, contrasts so sharply with how differently they approach problems. I think... Uh, I think many, many Japanese colleagues I have who do not live there can no longer live there uh, because it's so difficult to operate within that, that, those constraints. As a visitor, of course, um, I think it's very easy to be enamored with how well uh, the attention to details seem to be valued. Uh, whereas in, in our lives here in North America, uh, we seem to have lost track of that. Um, so it's fascinating. It, it does veer on, on, on uh, fetish. Uh, and I think it's important to disentangle from that. Um, but as a, uh, uh, a country that is, uh, has a very different approach to uh, immigration, to demographic trends, uh, its relationship to food and to rural um, and how far along it is in the decay of, of what it means to be Japanese, I think is something that we can learn from as 
as, as we are becoming more familiar with decay ourselves. Yeah, and you use the word fetish, I use the word Manichaean, I'm not sure yeah, yeah. actually if they're that <laughs> different. We also, um, the, the Japanese, for all the economic problems they've had over the last 30 years since the 1980s, when they were seen as the new China, although at that point there wasn't an old China, um, J Japan has always been a leader in design and thinking. We did a show with Matt Alt, for example, a couple of years mm. ago. Uh, pure invention how japan's pop culture conquered the world i know uh, my daughter in particular is enormously influenced by japanese culture and anime you've gone to japan though in a different way you've gone to look at this urban rural reconnection and particularly in their attitude towards food your day job um richard is as a um a slow food advocate you're a food activist um and so how did you stumble on this story? Uh, are you just a, a Japan enthusiast who happened to go to Japan <laughs> and saw this? Or was was this something that, that stimulated your activity in the slow food movement? Well, I, I, my, my first contact with Japan was uh, via the Japan Society, which is also how I, uh, how I first met uh, Siyoshi Sakihara. Uh, and it, Who's your co-author of the book? Who, I'm not going to dare to try to pronounce his name. You yeah. do a beautiful job. <laughs> I'm learning uh, over over the years. I, I, I it does roll off my tongue much more easily now. Um, but we met through these learning exchanges, and my first learning exchange with Japan uh, was on the topic of disaster. After uh, Hurricane Katrina, we interacted with. Um, uh, those in Japan who've dealt with uh, different disasters. Um, of course, this was before the, the 311 tsunami. Um, and in our exchange between the uh, Hurricane Katrina flooding our world and their experience uh, in an island, Miyakajima, where a volcano had made it impossible to live on the island, we were exploring how differently do our systems approach the dignity of people in the, 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 the discomfort with a major disaster. Uh, that's where my relationship began. That and with the exchange, uh, the curious fascination that they were developing in Japan for farmers markets. And my, much of my work has been devoted to farmers markets as yeah to, you're uh, one of the things you're i don't know if you're the found i think you're the founder or what were, were the founder of a crescent city farmers market so you're very very much involved in the uh, artisan farmers movement farmers markets mm -hmm. in the united states yeah and which does is, is perhaps perhaps most closely where i fell found myself and fell in love with uh, the story of Cooney, which is, you know, the book is largely about this man's journey uh, back to rural areas and unexpectedly finding himself as uh, a community organizer and his story and the theories that came out, not out of reading books, but out of practice of uh, being a practitioner um, struck chords that uh, are very strong for me in my work, which is about the issue of scale, the scale of farming, uh, the nature of the contract between urban and rural, between the suppliers and the, um, uh, 
the consumer and you know supply and demand um and all of my work has focused on the the outreach from the city to the country and what fascinated me and, and i found so inspiring was his is the work of organizing from the country to the city and i think those of us who live in mega cities and are interested in food and interested in the adjacent farmland still look at these as communities that are supplying the stuff that we want and it's very different if you're organizing this work inside those rural communities because they have to function as communities first and foremost not that it's secondary that they produce the stuff the food stuffs we like um, but it has to work for them holistically and i think we tend to segment the the dignity of those communities um, in our exchanges uh, or there is the potential to do so so i thought there was some Richard, i want to get to the, the the core story of this but um and I've been to Japan a few times, like everybody who's been there, you fall in love with the country. It's remarkable. So different from, from anywhere else I've ever been. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, borrowing your word fetish, it seems as if the Japanese have a fetish with food and with the experience of dining. Is there some truth to that? Do you think that the, the Kuni experiment sort of went naturally in a culture where food is so central? I do. I, I think, you know, the only other place that may strike me as uh, uh, equally as fixated on or, or caring about details and quality and experience is, the, is, is perhaps in Italy. Um, yeah, I was going to say it, that. I think Japan and Italy, in an odd way, they have so much in common. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and I think where one is, is, is absolutely concerned with how to keep everything together in an organized fashion. The other seems far more cool with it being disorganized, but yet it still comes together. Um, but I think similarly, both are cultures that really do care about the details. And it's not good enough to just be close enough. It has to be right. And uh, uh, that kind of determination is something I find that we could learn from. Um, I find it inspiring. I find that it really does matter, the scale and the nature and the depth of the relationships and the care uh, in those exchanges. And, and, and it really brought to mind for me what my work uh, for many years in farmers markets was not really about the food. Um, I mean, I, I care about the food. But at the end of the day, it was much more of a political um, uh, instrument to build trust between urban and rural people. And that is at the core of what the Sekihara's work on building Kuni is to build community, um, first and foremost, in these forgotten rural places that are dying slowly, unless there is a new political project that can harness the shared assets. Right, so, so very briefly, uh, uh, yeah. right, Richard, um... It's 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 a really interesting book and an important story, but most of our audience won't be familiar with it. No. Tell us the story of Cooney. How, how did it begin? When did it begin? And who is its major instigator? My understanding that it, it, it sort of took place in Joetsu, which is um, 
part of the the, uh, the, uh, the the region in southern Japan, but perhaps uh, tell us the story of Kuni. Okay. Uh, well, just very briefly at the top, Kuni is an ancient old world word for the nation, and specifically the Japanese nation. And uh, Sekihara has reimagined that idea of the nation as instead the community and the community that binds us together. And he was drawn to this idea of kind of a sub-national identity. And this is your co-author, Sekihara. This is, this is the co-author. And his work, he grew up in, in and I, I thank you for, for showing the, the map of, of where um, Joet. It's very much off the beaten path. It is a small to mid-sized city overlooking the Sea of Japan, far from the central nervous system of Japan now, which is, of course, the mega city of Tokyo. And anyone who grows up, whether it's in the town or the rural areas of that prefecture, uh, Niigata, mostly what you want to do is figure out how to get there and get to Tokyo, where you can have a professional career. This is what he did 35 years ago. And he had a successful career in um, design and urban design and, and um, very much a, a Tokyo-centric urban uh, profession. Had a midlife crisis, um, returned not home because that would have been a U-turn. It would have been a terrible failure, but he took something of what they call describe in Japan as a J-turn. He went back to the same prefecture, but he didn't go back to his community. And it wasn't intentional. It was, he was searching. And when he went back to rural Joetsu, so south of the city of Joetsu, what he found was the wildness and the desire of being in, in the natural setting and it inspired him, but he also saw this as a dying place. And the, the, the element of life that used to be natural, used to be um, automatic, uh, the, the thinning of the forests, the cleaning of the, um, the, the irrigation canals, none of this was happening. It was once done by the community and then by local government, but then as people left and fled for the city, uh, and they did so rather hurriedly uh, with that growth, especially in the 70s and 80s. Um, these are communities that are no longer functioning very well. They may have a village, the mayor, and it may be a region of 20 different villages with their own mayor uh, competing for resources, uh, competing to hopefully have an idea of what the future may look like. And what he began to do first in working with volunteers, older people and very young people, was to begin to organize the community to clean the forest, to thin the forest so that they could function um, as ecosystems. And um, which does, you know, hopefully remind us that the rural areas are not just wild. They are actually very well manicured to function as economic and, and, and uh, social spaces. And from there, he began to experiment with strategies that brought, bring in training for young people social services for older people, um, economic development funding to build agritourism and uh, value-added products, those beautiful manufactured artisanal products that they now sell to urban dwellers who are 
fascinated with life out here because yes, you may be in successful Tokyo, you may be in another urban center, but you're so disconnected from those very uh, important iconic elements of what life in Japan means as part of that identity and, and, and what they look for. So you do find in Japan, there's an extraordinarily great potential for agritourism, for urban dwellers who want to clear their minds. They may find that through forest bathing or by going into a community that they can connect to, can become uh, almost regulars. So they become regular visitors. And it's based on this wonderful sort of balance between infusion of new people coming into this region, into these communities, as well as the self-help mutual aid of organizing the economy and the political infrastructure of these rural areas, um, not sidestepping the village mayors, but kind of replacing them uh, uh, or incorporating them into a new kind of regionalism where the idea of the community is reinvented so that you may live in this particular village or another one, but instead now you actually are living in a region that is organized around a shared idea and the rituals of the community festivals, the cleaning of the canals, all of these things, the rebuilding of the old farmhouses that have been left to rot, become cafes, become community museums. It means that the imagination that we need to invent our future is being incubated in the small community. So I, I, you know, it's a very interesting experiment. I had a couple of questions on it. Firstly, mm -hmm. How did it scale in Japan? I mean, did it has it caught on in Japan, or is it still pretty much um, located in in Joetsu? And secondly, how could this theoretically apply to the United States and and perhaps Europe as well? I'm thinking of France and its depopulated villages and its tradition of gastro uh, gastronomy, winemaking, um, mm -hmm. and uh, and food. Uh, well, to, to the first question, has it taken off in Japan? Uh, I, I'd say yes and no. I think there is a growing community who are fascinated with uh, Sekihara's work. And, and, and I would say that in some ways, this book is the first time that we are putting the ideas all together in one place. Um, and, and so I think this is a moment where a very... Uh, urgent call to action all over Japan to save small rural areas is looking for models. And uh, this is a model to look at. Now, it's not a quick fix, easy model. So <laughs> it's not like, you know, cut and paste, and then this will work. Um, it's part of what I really admire about his story is that this stuff takes time. And I know that the way we organize our society and philanthropy and investment is we're not interested in in time. We want to we want to solve uh, issues quickly. But there's some very inventive things happening in Japan because things are decaying far more uh, fully than they are here. Um, organizing this this team of young people who you pay uh, upon finishing university, or you're young and looking for work, like a volunteer corps, like a conservation corps, like AmeriCorps but designed specifically 
to uh, bring them into rural areas to learn skills from old people uh, because there is a, a sense that these skills need to be um, right. Uh, so there's a strong on. demographic element. I mean, Japan, of course, is famous or infamous for its demographic aging. Is this particularly attracting young people, um, particularly what people in the West call the lost generation? I think it is. Um, and I think it's also attracting young people who grow up in these rural areas. We know the impulse is to leave. Uh, just as just as Sekihara did, um, and and what they are training young people to do in these communities is to become knowledgeable and proud about their hometown, their home community, encouraging them to leave so that they return. Um, I don't think we're having this um, sophisticated or honest conversation about our rural communities in America or Canada, for that matter. Um, I think we still look at the infrastructure of the large city as the place to go. And um, we look at things very much on a, a segmented economic development standpoint. How can we make it attractive to attract uh, some factory to come set up in our community with certain tax breaks? Um, this is not a holistic approach, whereas I think Cooney takes a much more full uh, a holistic strategy that these need to be functioning communities. Functioning communities will attract capital. Functioning communities will attract people. Um, so it's asset-based rather than trying to figure out how to um, wriggle capital to come to your community because you'll give things away. Um, I think that an easier model, be, perhaps because of its uh, ethnic purity, the fact that everyone in Japan, almost everyone in Japan is Japanese, you don't have the <laughs> ethnic or in some ways the, the cultural or political divisions between country and city that you have in the United States. Richard, you and I are talking on mm -hmm. uh, uh, November the 8th. <laughs> a very long uh, day, a very long day. Know, a long day, election day, <laughs> great, very very uh, painful, wide division in America politically between countryside and city. Um, do you think it can be replicated in the United States in that context? Well, there's also more of an ambivalence towards the countryside uh, because it tends to be quite white mm -hmm. and old and conservative. Well, I, I think you're, you're absolutely correct about the, the monolithic Japanese language, Japanese culture, um, as compared to a, a rather complex multicultural picture in the US. Although, of course, in Japan, there are differences that are maybe more subtle than what we can um, recognize. Um, accents and, oh, you come from that community, therefore, I know what your story is. Um, so there are some similarities. There are real divides between urban and rural Japan, but there is still a pride and a longing for rural Japan to exist. They may not live there, but they want it to exist. So that is a stronger urge uh, than, say, maybe we have in, in the U.S. But I think that these are relevant questions uh, for us in the U.S. because the questions he is asking in Cooney is the question about, is there the right scale of a community that we live in? 
we never have that conversation here. We, we think the bigger is better and you have to conform to the scale of efficiency and bigness. And I think that that occurs with, um, it, 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 it has such damage on smaller communities that have something going for them but it is belittled because of the small scale of it. Yeah, but you're, um, you're involved with the slow food movement. That's taken mm -hmm. off in the United States. It resonates with uh, some people here, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Oh, it does, uh, which is why I think these ideas are ripe right now. I think they're also ripe in this strange uh, era in which we are still grappling with what does the pandemic mean? the disruptions that it has uh, provoked, I think are very helpful for us to recognize where do we live? What kind of community do we want to live in? Uh, what, are, what are the elements of the community that we want to contribute to? And what do we want to get out of those communities? And I think that scale is, is one of the uh, the, the hidden issues that we have not discussed openly in the U.S. And I think when you ask people, why are they drawn, for instance, to a farmer's market? It's not the produce. I mean, it is, but the produce is the tool that gets them to establish uh, uh, social ties with people they otherwise would not have known. And with that comes a curiosity for where is the food grown? Who grows it? Um, the desire to have relationships with people in smaller rural communities, not that they're perfect. In fact, they're not perfect. They have, they have a lot of um, challenges. But can that lead to not just agritourism, but a kind of agritourism that's based on strong uh, cultural assets that can be translated into economic and political assets? And those political assets are not meant to be urban versus rural, but urban plus rural. And from the point of view of rural reaching to urban, this is you know, one of my, my main gripes with the way we divide our politics in the US is there is such an urban slant, it's smug, it belittles the small rural places. And I hope that this story in this book helps to give some uh, confidence and ideas as to what are some of the pathways to help translate these assets. Um, and is I, this, uh, Richard, mm -hmm. is this um, an environmental or a political message or are those inseparable? We did a show recently with George Mombiat. I'm sure you're familiar with his work. Sure, sure. Regenesis, feeding the world without devouring the planet. I'm sure you're very much in his camp on this front. He's talking about regenerating our, our entire culture around the soil, around smaller farms. Is it an, and, and of course, Monbiat is well known. He just won the Orwell Prize as an environmental journalist. Is this an environmental book, the message of Cooney, or is it somehow broader than that? I think it's broader. Um, I, I think it's small p political, um, but I, 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 I think it's a book about practice. And, and you know, it's funny, the thing about books is, you know, we think we read a book, it tells us what to do, now let's do it. Um, in a way, the message of the book is um, uh, have an open mind as to what this will lead, what your work will lead to, but most importantly, begin to collaborate. And uh, that's what I think, you know, what 
drove me to farmers markets was not that they would become the end and I would become the advocate of farmers markets and the world must be filled with more and more markets. The market is an avenue. It's a gateway between communities that have lost a sense of trust, uh, a sense of connection. And uh, I think Cooney is the other side of the equation, which is the tools and the strategy for the rural communities to reposition themselves uh, as holding on to some things that we've lost and they possess them, um, but there needs to be a strategy to utilize them. So it is political, but ultimately I think it is Cooney equals community. And the thing that we know we have lost and that we crave is a sense of community and a social contract that gives all of the parties a sense of dignity and a stake in the future. And the way that we talk about politics and ideas and economics um, is so devoid of community. Uh, now people find their identity or the pathway through ecological language. Um, I'm, I'm very comfortable with that, but, but those become very strong political camps that are uh, colored. And I, I, I think we need to reorient ourselves in the places where we are and build a new kind of economic and political culture through the things we do, through the behavior change, rather than some strong ideological position. Well, that's a very interesting story and a very important story. As I said, it's the other side of our perhaps love-hate relationship with Japan. Kuni, a Japanese vision and practice for urban-rural reconnection. Uh, Richard McCarthy is the co-author. Uh, congratulations, uh, Richard, on the new book. What else would you suggest people read? What are you reading these days to educate, to amuse? Well, you know, I, I, you? I, I tend to fall into science fiction, um, uh, although so much of it is dystopian. I, I'm I'm really enjoying um, Kim Stanley Robinson's The Ministry yeah, for yeah, the you're Future. All, you're right. That, that book gets cited more than any other in all my guests. Yeah. I need to get... But you know, there's another one that I can't put I can't put down, which is uh, uh, an atlas of countries that don't exist. It's a rather interesting kind of art project book um, by Nick Middleton, and it's looking at attempts at subnations that uh, have some degree of recognition. Um, and and what I, I am particularly drawn to about it is the imaginative element of nation building and place building um, and uh, the fact that we seem to be in a period of deconstruction and we need to look around to see what are the signposts that tell us where we live because they're not necessarily the political boundaries that we've been handed.